Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Alright. Turn the wheel! No! Reverse! Reverse! Slow the out! Go kill it! Kill it! Kill the owner! There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. I said reverse! Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're doc now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I am your host, Keith Smith, and I am joined by our producer, Con Harrell and Pete Toll. Guys, good morning. We are, as a reminder, part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. We are so happy to be bringing you another show. Con, how are you this morning? I'm great. I'm actually at the Hall of Fame tip-off tournament in Connecticut watching some teams play, so it's, it's, been, it's been a fun weekend so far. Yeah, that's awesome. Those early season tournaments are always a lot of fun. That's when you get some of those high-profile matchups, get to see some of the good prospects. So good on you for being there. And Pete, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Keith. Uh, Con, I'm, I'm jealous of you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I uh, always love those early season tournaments. It's good stuff. So we're coming at you a little bit early this week because of the holiday week with Thanksgiving. Pete, Con, and I all have some different travel plans and family styles. So hopefully you'll enjoy this. Hopefully this gives you something to listen to while maybe you're en route to your holiday destination. We're going to start off with a little bit of news and notes first, and then we are going to finish up the Eastern Conference and get into it with the um, teams that we have not covered. So Cleveland through Washington. Washington alphabetical by city. We're going to go through their rotations, things we've noticed and not noticed. Cons get some some uh, substitution pattern notes, and then Pete and I will give our thoughts on guys who are in and out. But getting into the news and notes first, Anthony Davis is out for the New Orleans Pelicans. At least probably going to miss the next game with a concussion. This is the third concussion he's had this year, and this is a guy who well, he's one of the best players in the NBA, probably top five to ten. Um, Con, do you agree with that? I mean, when he plays at his the level that he can play at, there's not much you can do to stop him. And once you get that unstoppable kind of moves and play going, at, it's you, you get to that top 5, 10 level. There aren't many players who are just unstoppable in certain things they do. Yeah, for sure. And Pete, I know, I know your feelings on Davis just from our previous chats and conversations. So is it a challenge that, you know, and concussions are hard, right? You never want to criticize a guy for a concussion. That's just something that happens, and it's it's really unfortunate. But are you at all, what level of concern do you have with the fact that Anthony Davis, as good as he is, is continually nicked up? I'm very concerned, especially when all you really have on the team is Anthony Davis because potentially DeMarcus Cousins, you know, could move elsewhere in another season. And so looking at it long-term, that's your guy that you want to build around or you built around, obviously, as the franchise star, and you want to keep long-term. So health-wise, first for him, 
you know, obviously he wants a prolonged career, but those concussion injuries more prevalent in, in the um, NFL than they are in the NBA, but they're still a serious matter that, um, you know, can take its toll on, on him night in, night out. So I'm very concerned, you know, being it's his third um, so far. Yeah, and that's the thing for me is if it happens once, it happens once. Once you're into multiple times, that is really a challenge, and that that really makes you worried after a while for for a guy like Davis. So hopefully he can bounce back from this and you know come back fully healthy and not be a long term problem. On the next injury front news for this is a team we already covered, so we're going to talk about it here. D'Angelo Russell, the Brooklyn Nets came out and announced that he's going to miss um, some time with a uh, knee injury. So we knew that was happening, um, but now they have officially confirmed that he, he had a surgery to remove some loose bodies in his knee. So hopefully he will be okay and is not going to miss too much time at this point. But D'Angelo Russell definitely going to be down and out for at least a period uh i'm gonna go to you first pete pete how does this um impact the nets they're now down lynn and russell as they're starting backward both out for a while well spencer dinwiddie's definitely going to play a, a bulk of the minutes with isaiah whitehead backing him up uh you can throw sean kilpatrick in the mix um as well so it's going to be interesting to kind of see the lineup variations that uh kenny atkinson can kind of throw together to kind of patchwork this team but from a scoring standpoint it's gonna be a little tough Alan Crabb's gonna have to step up uh big time because you've got Rondé Hollis Jefferson um in there he's not much of a scorer um now Trevor Booker's in there he might have to take a little bit more of the load at the center spot as well yeah no this, doubt uh injury sorry I just wanted to say this injury really uh can affect the Cavs situation and what they do with that Brooklyn pick as well because now that Lynn and Russell are out that Brooklyn pick is looking a lot better in terms of where it could land in the in the lottery so it'll be interesting to see how how this injury derails the early season for the Nets and how much that value of that pick increases approaching the trade deadline. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good point. The Nets right now, they're 6-9. and nine. They're probably playing ahead of where I would say most people probably had them this year. They've, they've been a very good home team, 5-2 and two at home. They're just 1-7 and seven on the road. That's usually the case with a poor team as they're a little bit better at home than on the road. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see exactly how long Russell is out. But Pete mentioned it. I think Spencer Dinwiddie has been kind of chomping at the bit to get his chance, and now he's finally getting it, and hopefully he runs with it because he's a good player. I think uh, people people have kind of knocked him down a peg over the last couple of years because he you know flamed out in both Chicago and Detroit and then landed with the Nets and the, the guy can play he's a big big guard he's about six foot six so good size for the position. I also think there's a chance we're going to see Isaiah Whitehead get mixed in a little bit here. He has not played much this season so I think you'll see him step in as well as Sean Kilpatrick as as Pete mentioned. So moving on to one other piece of news before we get into our rotation pieces. One of the things that is um that we are seeing now is some of the two-way contract guys it's starting to come to a head a little bit with a couple of them i wrote a thing for real gm it was a small snippet buried within an article about mike james of the phoenix suns potentially coming up on his 45 days as he started most of the season for the suns and as a refresher for those who aren't as aware two-way contracts you are limited to 45 days in the nba and that's days it's not games so that includes practices travel days off days if you're up with the nba team it's 45 days before you need to make a decision on whether you're going to convert that player 
to a standard NBA contract or you're going to let that player go. So the Suns were the real impetus of it, but the Dallas Mavericks are the first team we see make an in-season move with one of their two-way contracts as they they waived uh, Gian Clavel and essentially it's they waived him from his two-way converted him into a to a standard nba gl contract and then they brought up antonius cleveland who had camped with golden state and had been playing for the santa cruz warriors they brought him up on a two-way contract and then that he's probably going to spend most of his time with the texas legends so pete i know you know a little bit about both of these guys so Mm -hmm. go ahead and tag him with your thoughts on uh the Mavs switching out clavel for cleveland well, with Cleveland, they get a little bit more size than, than Clavel. Um, I think they're looking for a little bit more um, efficiency as well. Although Cleveland isn't the scorer um, that Clavel was, um, as far as in, in college at least, um, Cleveland's a little bit more efficient with picking his spots. Uh, he already played in two games uh, for the Dallas Mavericks, uh, played seven minutes in the loss against Minnesota on Friday, and then three minutes in the blowout win over Milwaukee. So he's already kind of getting floor time, getting a little experience there. So um, being 6'6", 195, he can use his length um, as a uh, defender as well. So be curious to see kind of what happens um, with him. Uh, you know, the Mavericks basically now just develop, you know, can develop him and see what they have. Yeah, he's a guy I know a lot of NBA teams were very high on in the summer league process. Again, you mentioned it. He's got really good size. He's a big big guy, kind of long, a um, little little bit of good little bit of length to him with that. So I think it's he he's got a chance here to play. Some it'll be curious to see if the Mavs just kind of keep rolling over this one two-way spot because their other two-way guy Jonathan Motley, they have not done much with him. He has been mostly in the uh, NBA GL all season. So it's going to be interesting to see how teams approach this, but keep keep an eye on that cuz we're we're getting really close to this 45-day window as we move here towards the end of November for a handful of these guys and it's going to be interesting to see what decisions for those guys who have been up more often than not are made as we we get there especially with mike james and we'll talk more about that when we get into the western conference portion of our uh, rotation and roster show so now we're going to get into the eastern conference and we're going to talk about the cleveland cavaliers they are the first team up on our list so Cavs had been one of the more stable teams rotation wise over the past couple of seasons and then this year they started out and they are anything but they have been switching guys in and out. It's really been Kevin Love and LeBron James, the only two consistent guys who have started every game so far this year. And everybody else has been kind of rotated in and out. Jay Crowder and J.R. Smith fell out of the rotation for a little bit and then came back in to the starting lineup. Or not out of the rotation, out of the starting lineup, I should say. But then they're back in there. And then point guard's been a bit of a revolving door for this team. They they went early on with with. Dwayne, Dwayne Wade for a little while. Then they went to Amon Shumpert. Shumpert's now hurt. There's talk that they may go to Jose Calderon. Is they're just trying to keep that spot warm until Isaiah Thomas is ready to play right around the first of the year. So, Khan, give us what their substitution patterns look like. Well, okay, so just like you mentioned, they've been really inconsistent, and I only really have one game for their substitution patterns, and it's it's not going to give a lot of information, but what I do have is some lineup data. Um, so what's interesting about the Cavs 
is their most played lineup has only played 80 minutes together, and that's J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, LeBron James, Crowder, and Kevin Love. And that's only appeared in six games, and it's pretty similar throughout it. Um, And an interesting point is seven of their eight most used lineups, five-man units, have worse than a negative 13.1 net rating, which is ridiculous to me. I mean, they're they're nine and seven, so uh, it's 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 crazy to see that they're positive that they're above five hundred with with that sort those sort of numbers. But the the lineups that work really well for them um, is Dwayne Wade at the point guard, LeBron James playing obviously, and then just surrounding them with shooters. Uh, so their best lineup with that's played more than fifteen minutes together is Dwayne Wade. Um, Kyle Korver, Crowder, LeBron James, and Kevin Love, and we saw how how hot Korver got um, against against the Clippers there the other day. And Korver is is part of a lot of their more positive lineups. So him stretching the floor with Fry and, and Kevin Love, and just the the Dwayne Wade at the point guard with LeBron passing it to everyone. That that's really been um, what they're leaning on for success lately. Yeah. So Pete, one of the questions I want to ask you is with with this this kind of revolving door at the point guard spot and the fact that now Shumpert, who seemed to have been settling in there over the last handful of games, now he's out and he's going to be out for probably about a week or so. Would you even waste time going to Calderon or would you just go back to Dwayne Wade? I go back to Wade because at least he gives you a scoring punch off the bench. Um, can obviously play both two guard and point guard. Um, Calderon at this point, I mean – He's going to give up a ton of points defensively. You have to hope that he can consistently knock down shots. And, and I just think at 36 years of age, um, you know, playing the point guard spot, I, I, I just don't think that that's the right move. I, I'd rather go to Wade and at least try to get something um, out of him, you know, at least from the scoring standpoint. Yeah, I, it, where that position's been such a black hole for them, both in the starting lineup and – you know, really off the bench. I'm starting to wonder if they may use one of their um, available tools. Not Certainly not the Nets pick I wouldn't use, but one of their other tools. They've got a couple of trade exceptions of decent size, the biggest one being for Kyrie Irving, $5.8 million. If they might use that to go get themselves a more quality backup point guard because Calderon had gone from before Schumpert got hurt. He hadn't even played. He had been, you know, just complete end-of-the-bench garbage time minute guy. And now I'm wondering, I know they said for the duration of this little uh, stretch here without Schumpert, they're going to bring John Holland up from the G League. He's one of their two-way guys, but he's not a point guard option either. So Mm -hmm. this team doesn't need to be any worse at that position defensively, but I think that's exactly where we're headed. They have London uh, Perrantz as well out of of the University of Virginia on the two-way contract, but I just don't think that you throw a – you know, basically a rookie into that situation either. So um, just in case somebody out there suggests that, I just, I don't know that that's the right move. Yeah, no, for sure. And part of the reason they're in this is because Derek Rose, it was announced earlier this week that he is going to be out for two to three more weeks with a uh, ankle sprain. He actually, um, if you've ever played basketball, I'm sure you've rolled an ankle at some point. You usually roll it where the, uh, the the outside of your foot rolls he actually rolled it the other way which is is really rough it's a you know rarer type of ankle sprain and he is still down still recovering and then in their big man rotation tristan thompson's still out as well um so that's throwing things really for a loop and that's uh thompson's easily i would say 
other than when LeBron cares enough, Thompson's easily their best defender. So, you know, curious to see what, what the Cavs do from here. Um, do either one of you have any more thoughts on Cleveland or do we want to move on? I'm good. I'm good. We can move all on. All right, let's move on. I th- think Cleveland's been talked about enough on uh, the podcast yeah. stream. So, all right, let's talk about the Detroit Pistons now. This is probably the team that has had arguably the most consistent starting lineup in the uh, entire NBA. They've gone with Andre Drummond, Tobias Harris, Stanley Johnson, Avery Bradley, and Reggie Jackson for every game that Johnson has been healthy. He missed a handful of games, and Reggie Bullock slid in there and started in his place. But other than that, they have gone with the same guys and I think that's been a key to them running out to this really good start that they've gotten off to and a big part of that is Reggie Jackson's healthy again so he is out there and doing quite well um, with that he's working that two-man game with Drummond again that we saw a couple years ago which we hadn't seen last year is Jackson just he was never healthy and people really started you know Reggie Jackson stinks he's no good he's terrible well it's not maybe those things still might be true to some extent but he was hurt the entire time so that is a you know big challenge it was hard to judge him and I think Avery Bradley's given them a real steadying presence he defends usually the best guard on the other team Tobias Harris has become a consistent scorer for the Pistons these are all things that are pushing Detroit towards the success where I think they maybe hoped to be last year but have landed so far here so Khan give us a little bit of their um, rotation and lineup numbers and let us know what it looks like for them because I think it's probably pretty consistent yeah, no, they, they really like to bring in Kennard first off the bench um, for, for Johnson uh, around the mid-quarter mark in the first quarter. And then they bring in Ish Smith and Galloway about three quarters of the way through the quarter. And then sometimes they'll have Tobias and Drummond finish out the first quarter. Sometimes they'll bring in Tolliver and Moreland um, to, to replace them. And then they, they close out uh, with, with Reggie, Bradley, either Johnson or Galloway, Tobias and Drummond a lot of the time. But a couple interesting uh, lineup stats here. Their starting lineup is actually negative 11.1 in terms of net rating. Um, and then their their uh, lineup, their bench lineup of Galloway, Kennard, Ish Smith, or Ish Smith, Galloway, Kennard, um, Anthony Tolliver, and Moreland are uh, plus 10.6 in net rating. So, so they're really um, kind of getting the lead back with their bench lineups. But one thing that really shocked me was how much um, Galloway is affecting them. He's played about a third of the total minutes of the team, and they're plus 19.1 with uh, with him on and negative 3.3 with him off. So that's really interesting. And one thing I'd like to see them do is bring in Galloway um, first off the bench instead of Kennard because small sample size theater here with only 13 minutes played, but the starting lineup of Reggie Jackson uh bradley tobias harris and drummond with galloway in there instead of johnson only 13 minutes here but plus 84.8 so you can't really get you can't really get much from that stat but i would like to see them try that lineup out more and the fact that it's only 13 minutes of that lineup with galloway playing so well um i'd like to see how that looks in in more in larger numbers yeah, and I would say the reason you we haven't seen much of it is is Kennard just really joined the rotation. He had been not playing really at all. And then I think when they went to Reggie Bullock in the starting lineup, they realized that that wasn't going to work. Bullock doesn't bring much to the team. And then I think they flipped over to Kennard at that point because it was he's a better fit um, for the squad. So I think that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. I, I He's a guy I know from Summer League they were very high on and they thought he would be ready for NBA rotation minutes sooner rather than later. So I'm with you, and I think Galloway, he brings a versatility 
to play both the two, the one and the two um, for them, which I think is is big. Pete, what have you seen out of the Pistons so far with their rotation minutes? And um, specifically, they, last year they were a lot better with Ish Smith in there than Reggie Jackson. Uh, what do you, Is that holding true for you from the eye test, or what do you think? Um, I think actually with Reggie being healthy, I think he's actually picking his spots this year a little bit better. He's not rushing things, and, and then you've also – You've got Avery Bradley next to you in the backcourt. So he can kind of cover up some of the deficiencies on the defensive end. Um, and then he's able to put up, you know, almost 18 points a game scoring. So it helps the load there. Then you've got Tobias Harris, who's taken a leap forward this year and, and really kind of taken on a, a leadership role for this team. And, and um, you know, I, I think they're really a surprise team. They definitely are a big surprise for me because I did not have them even sniffing the playoffs. Um Drummond, you know, kind of looking a little bit better, you know, defensively. Not not great, but a little bit better than he did uh, last season. And then you guys talked about it already with Luke Kennard um, coming in. He's another surprise for me because I thought with Stan Van Gundy being a defensive coach, he was going to struggle mightily on that end of the floor and, and sit – you know, watching more than playing. Yeah, for sure. I think his ability to at least be competitive on that end has helped him get rotation minutes versus him just uh, sitting it out. So, all right, we're going to move on in the interest of time. We're going to move on to the Indiana Pacers next. Um, and the Pacers are, again, another team extremely consistent in their starting lineup. Miles Turner is the only guy who hasn't started um, each of their games so far, and that's because he was out injured for a little while. When he was out, they were with DeMontis Sabonis in there in his place Mm -hmm. so they run with Turner Thaddeus Young Bojan Bogdanovic Victor Oladipo and Darren Collison they've run with that group for every game and off the bench it's been Sabonis when he's not starting Corey Joseph Lance Stevenson and TJ Leaf consistently have gotten in there every single game night in night out um, for this team and it's it's a good mix for me of both youth and um experience vets so i think that's a you know a great thing the way they're playing and they're really a surprise to a lot of people they're sitting at eight and eight right now they've been really competitive and have done quite well and both uh sabonis and oladipo that paul george trade doesn't look so bad now does it pete no not at all um uh, we talked about it extensively that um you know both oladipo and sabonis were good players and and they're proving Obviously, so Oladipo could become an all-star in in the little bit weakened or a lot weakened Eastern 15 Conference. 15 rebounds the other night for Oladipo, too. Yeah, so. and, you know, uh, the ability to facilitate along with the scoring um, is, is really good as well. Obviously, can defend. And then Sabonis, I'm, I'm glad to see he finally gave, you know, the three-point shots a rest and got down in the post area where he um, is a lot better, very efficient. Um, a lot of – you know, seven for seven, eight for eight, nine for nine games um, so far this season. Yeah, I think that's what happens when Russell Westbrook doesn't just say stand out there and I'll throw it to you every <laughs> once in a while off a wild mm-hmm. drive to the basket. So, Con, on the rotation um, minutes, I, I said for me they seem like they're one of the more consistent teams as far as how they run their rotation. Is that what you've seen? Yeah, and their sub patterns are pretty consistent as well. So they again, their starting lineup we all know, and then they they like to bring in Corey Joseph and Lance Stevenson uh, for Collison and Bojan Bogdanovic around the mid quarter mark again, maybe a bit after, um, and then they like to 
take out Oladipo and put Collison back in towards the end of the quarter. Um, so that's pretty consistent in those three guard rotations. And then depending on whether uh, Turner's in or not, they bring in Sabonis at, towards the end, and then TJ Leaf kind of starts the second quarter for them. Um, and then they close with uh, the, the starting lineup, or which is Collison, Oladipo, Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, and Turner, or they have Corey Joseph in instead of Bojan Bogdanovich, depending on the matchup matchups there one thing i did want to point out just quick with the lineup stats is sabonis is has played a lot better than turner as so far in terms of the numbers um because when he's on the floor they're a plus seven when he's off they're a plus 0.3 when turner's on they're a negative 4.2 and when he's off they're a plus 2.6 so the numbers are showing that i mean so and especially at now i'm at this tournament i'm talking to a bunch of different nba scouts and everyone is loving how sabonis is playing so it's it's it'll be interesting to see uh the competition between sabonis and turner in terms of them playing i would like to see them play together a bit more just so we have a larger sample size but what do you guys think about that yeah no you hit it right on the head there i want to see those two guys together because i think that is that's the future for the Pacers up front. Um, Turner's obviously, he's there, for lack of a better term, franchise guy now. And then you Sabonis is a big part of what they want to do. I think that this kind of brings it into a point, and Pete, I'll let you get your thoughts in here in a second. But I think this team has a trade in them because I don't know that Thaddeus Young makes a lot of sense for him to finish out the year with the Pacers. I, although they're surprising and they're good and they could even get into the mix for the playoffs at the bottom of the East, I just don't know that Young fits where they're going. He's a little older of a guy there. Um, he's a good player. They might be able to gain more assets for them, as well as they're sitting on a bunch of partial and non-guaranteed guys for next year that make for really nice trade chips as long as they trade them this year because then they the, the other team can maybe get off a little bit of money by waiving those players and not not uh, moving forward with their letting their contracts become fully guaranteed. Those are guys like Bogdanovich, Collison, and Al Jefferson. So, Pete, what is your thoughts on where, where do they go up front? How do they get Turner and Sabonis on the floor together? I I think you, you nailed it. I mean, you moved Thaddeus Young. Um, you also got to consider, you know, two years down the road, you know, maybe even, you know, as of next season, TJ Leaf could end up being um, a rotation player um, as well. They can kind of rotate out um, Sabonis, Turner, and and Leaf kind of between you know the the power forward spot when Sabonis slides over, and then uh, the center spot between Turner and and Sabonis. So I think that's a good mix. You're you're already kind of phasing out Al Jefferson, so why not move Thaddeus Young? You know, get a little bit younger. Um, you know, kind of get some depth maybe, uh, you know, either at the wing spot or, or, you know, second round picks or something of that of that nature. Yeah. I just think they like Sabonis at the center spot. Sorry, Keith. No, go ahead. Um, and yeah, so they, they like playing Sabonis at the center spot as like mm-hmm. a stretch five guy. And they've only played Turner and Sabonis together for 32 minutes, um, five different games. And that's obviously not as large sample size. They're negative 1.6 with them both out there. But it's I think it's mostly because Sabonis has been playing for the five for them and they like to keep it that way. Yeah. And I think because Turner's athletic and he can step out. 
and hit shots from the outside as Sabonis can do as well. So I think they can play with them as their inside-out combo. It'll be interesting to see where they go. And this is a team, if you haven't checked them out, check out one of their games because they are fun to watch. They get up and down the floor. They they do play very hard. Their, their guys are all fairly solid uh, players. So I think it is a good team to watch. So, But we're going to keep it moving here. We're going to move on to the Miami Heat. They have been... Struck by injuries once again. A lot, a lot of guys in and out of the, the lineup in the rotation here. The latest guy being Okara White. He is down. He was kind of the the last guy who was getting regular rotation minutes for this team. And he's out with a broken foot. So he's going to be down for probably six to eight weeks or so. And then they are also without Rodney Bergruder, who was a big part of what they were trying to do off their bench. They've been without him for most of the season. So other than that, the Heat, though, they've gone with Justice Winslow has moved into the starting lineup as of late. He has moved in and is the starting power forward. And he's starting next to Hassan Whiteside, who missed some time with injuries of his own. And then Josh Richardson, Dion Waiters, and Goran Dragic, those three have been primarily healthy and in there every game. Then off the bench, it's the Johnsons, Tyler and James, Kelly Olenek and Wayne Ellington, and then Bam Adebayo's in and out. He's currently more out of the rotation than in, and I think that makes sense. It, at least when I've watched them, whenever he's in, he seems a little too lost on both ends of the floor. There's There was a game where I watched where he – um, kept coming over to set a screen for Dragic when Dragic was trying to work a small, small pick and roll with waiters. And Adebayo kept getting over there and gumming it up. And Dragic finally just screamed at him, told him to get out of there. And then on the defensive end, he's like a lot of rookies, just, you know, he's having a little bit of struggle getting his body to do what his mind's telling him to do. So, Con, I want to throw it to you. What do the lineup stats look like for the Miami Heat? Yeah, so I mean, they bring in both the Johnsons first for Richardson and Winslow, and then they bring Richardson kind of back in for waiters later on. And then depending on whether or not they want Dragic and Whiteside to close out the quarter, they'll bring in Ellington and Olenek for those two. Um, But they're, so I wanted to touch on their most used fourth quarter lineup, which is Dragic, Dion Waiters, Josh Richardson, James Johnson, and Hassan Whiteside. That lineup in the fourth quarter has a plus 25.1 net rating. Um, And I, I, I think I'd like to see that lineup a bit more just throughout the game and I mean they're not going to start with that because they like Winslow at the four and and Richardson there but I think um Richards I mean James Johnson's playmaking and ability to stretch it out a bit more than Winslow although he's not that great at it either kind of helps this team um kind of succeed a bit more and what do you guys think about like the swap for James Johnson and Winslow in, in that in that closing lineup I, I like James Johnson in the starting lineup, but I know they, as they kind of termed the brothers Johnson um, off the bench um, playing together. But what, what I'm going to throw it back to you guys. What about Kelly Olinick? Could he slide over to the power forward spot, kind of stretch the floor in the starting lineup rather than, than Winslow? That way you keep James Johnson off the bench. I know you're kind of losing Olinick as the, the backup center, but you could always play him you know, in, in kind of varied lineups um, to get some center minutes as well. Yeah, I, for me, and that's one I thought we might see a little bit more. I thought we might see Whiteside and Olenek together. And what you could do there is he is essentially the starting four, but also the backup five. So whether he comes out early for Johnson and then comes back in, I think the challenge is, though, then – what you've done is because James Johnson is more a four than he is a three. Justice Winslow, I think at this point, is more four than he is a three. Now you've really gummed it up, and I don't know how you're going to get through through those minutes there, how you're going to find enough time for all those guys. So I think that becomes 
a little bit of the challenge in there. I don't know how you find time to play everybody. Con, what do you think about that? Yeah, not only that, but I mean, Whiteside and Olenek in theory make a good combo in terms of Olenek can stretch it out and Whiteside can kind of guard the paint. But in terms of defensively, neither of those guys can kind of stay in front of quicker players. And when you have two of those guys, when teams are a lot more going to these three guard and wings lineups or just like all wings lineups and all these kind of quicker players at at least four of the positions having two guys that can't really stay out in the perimeter really uh, makes it tough on the defensive end so I think that's why they're kind of keeping Olenek strictly as a starting five right now or backup five right now with spot minutes at the four yeah it's one of those things for me where this is a good problem to have right we always say you get a lot of guys who can play but what I think the Heat are missing is they're missing that one more frontline guy who can really help them, you know, push their their game. They struggle sometimes so much to find offense, especially anytime Dragic is off the floor. And I know everybody loves when Dion Waiters takes over and, you know, takes us all on a trip to Waiters Island and his bombs away from all over the place. But it's that's that's what I'd like to see them do. Find a way to maybe package a couple pieces together and go get one more, you know, big time guy who can help them out a little bit with that. So, any closing thoughts on the Miami Heat before we move on? No, I mean, hopefully they can get you know everybody, um, you know, in sync. And and I know Magruder's out for what six is it six months? He's yeah, out? he's going to be out for um, a while. So that's kind of a yeah, that's a blow. You know, you know, from a defensive standpoint. So. You know, we'll have to see kind of what happens. I mean, the East is is wide open. So luckily, you know, they're they're not in in deep water yet. Just to quickly say that O'Carroll White's been out, and when he gets back in, I mean, he's he kind of strictly plays the four too. So that's even less minute minutes for Olenek to get time there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. They're 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 this kind of funky mix of guys, and then uh, then you always get that. Um, we know we're gonna come up on that. Um, Random Udonis Haslam shows up in the rotation for a week or two. A <laughs> moment um, that'll that'll appear at some point. So, all right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. the The Bucks have been again pretty consistent with their starting five. It's uh, been Giannis and then Chris Middleton, Tony Snell in there for every game. Malcolm Brogdon had been the starting point guard prior to Derek Bledsoe trade. When they traded for Bledsoe, they immediately moved Bledsoe into the starting five and Brogdon to the bench. And then John Henson and Thon Maker have split the starts at the center spot. It's currently Henson and then Maker coming off the bench. So, so interesting look there. I thought them going to Brogdon off the bench made a lot of sense because the big position the number one lacking position on this team had been the backup two um as long as jabari parker is out that means that it was middleton and snell in the starting lineup and that meant neither one of those guys could back up the other one and they had tried everybody under the sun through that spot rashad vaughn deandre liggins then just nothing clicked and nothing worked so now you really got brogdon and then del vadova those are the two guys that are kind of playing that backup guard spots and they're playing together and I think that's okay because Brogdon has shown the ability to shoot it well enough and they can get after it defensively with those two guys so Con what what are our lineup numbers looking like for the Milwaukee Bucks yeah so with the Bucks um instead of kind of the rotation kind of data I have more uh the minutes switches but since the Bledsoe trade happened like who's kind of gone down and gone up in terms of minutes so Snell he went from about 33 and a half to about 
30, 31 minutes. Uh, Brogdon, same kind of numbers, 33 and a half to 29 minutes a game. Delhi took a big dip, almost a five-minute dip at 21.2 to 15.9. But the, the minutes are really coming from Rashad Vaughn has really been out of the rotation since the Bledsoe trade. He was getting about 10 minutes a game. Now he's only getting garbage time minutes. And same with Jason Terry. He was getting about eight, nine minutes a game, and now he's only getting garbage time minutes. Um, and then DeAndre Liggins has actually been a, been a surprise. He's, he's gone up in the rotation a bit more, playing a bit more. Uh, he's playing about 15 and a half minutes a game now, up from about 11 since... Um, the blood so trade but that's just him performing well and earning more minutes uh and yeah i i actually like to see um the Bledsoe and Snell or Bledsoe and Brogdon lineups, they're both really good in terms of their net ratings, 10.7 with Snell in there. And then uh, that's the most used lineup since Bledsoe's come back in. And then after that, it's Brogdon at the two and that net rating, small sample size, only about 20 minutes so far, but 33.1 positive net rating there. Um, so Bledsoe's been a big impact. The last thing I wanted to say is Giannis on the court, plus 3.3, off the court, negative 19.7. And he's playing crazy minutes, and they just can't really do much without him on there. Yeah, that's uh, ridiculous. You know, I mean, yeah, there's no yeah. other way to put that. There's, that guy is, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm severely understanding it, but he's good. I, I, th- I think now we can <laughs> officially call him good. All right, um, Pete, I want to ask you, Henson and Maker, switching, swapping them really in the, the lineup and Henson into the starting five and Maker to the bench. What do you think that's done for the Bucks as far as on the court? Um, I mean, Henson can give you a little bit as far as, you know, rebounding. Obviously, his numbers are better because he's, even though he's, you know, kind of lanky and wiry, he's stronger than uh, McCurr at this point. And uh, Thon, I, I still have question marks. Um, you know, he's shooting majority of his shots from the three-point land. And he can knock it down, but I want to see him get engaged in the post, you know, hustle after rebounds, play a little bit of defense. And I think that's what Jason Kidd's looking for as well. And it just doesn't look like that spark was there. So he kind of fell back to a bench role. And I think it's worked out well because Henson gives you that experience. Now with Bledsoe in the lineup, you get a little bit more scoring punch. It shifts uh, Brogdon, you know, as you guys mentioned to a backup role, but he's still efficient in, in that role. So I don't think they lose a beat um, with uh, McCurr as a backup. Now. Yeah, and one, one thing that's interesting is I go back to, right, and it's summer league, so you don't want to go too crazy over summer league numbers, but it's more style of play, and, it, and you're not running a lot of sophisticated offensive sets. So, so for him to hang out around the three-point line probably wasn't going to do too much. But he ran the floor and hit the boards and really was a hustle energy guy. And then to watch when they started this year out with him just hanging out around the arc, it was really a disappointment because I think that's where he's such a quick leaper that if he can get down inside, like I'm thinking I watched John Collins play last night against Celtics and Collins like a pogo stick. Like that dude is just bouncing all mm-hmm. over the floor, grabbing rebounds. And that's what, what I think Thought Maker could be in addition to being able to knock down the occasional three-pointer as well. So I think this was maybe more one of those um, get your head right lineup changes of like, let's let's get you back to the bench and go. What I do want to ask you guys both, and Con, I'm going to go to you first, is how do things change when Jabari Parker gets back? Because hopefully we're we're getting closer to a return for him. There's been some thought maybe right around the first of the year, maybe late January or so. Con, what do you think they – what do they do different when he comes back? And that's not – assuming he's probably going to come off the bench for the first handful of games, then he's likely to slide back into the starting lineup. Who's going to go to the bench? 
Oh, who's going to go to the bench is, is interesting. What I would personally like to see is just have Giannis go to the five because he can, he can guard fives uh, and have Parker um, at the four, obviously, when, when Parker's ready to start. But the thing is, maybe Parker won't get there this year. Um, it, it's tough to come back, especially from his second ACL. And if, they, if they're succeeding, it really depends on how they're playing, too, at, that, at the time that he's ready to come back. If they're, like, rolling and, and they're top four in the East, top three in the East, or wherever they are, then I think they might just want to keep the starting unit together, bring Parker as just additional ammo that they have off the bench. If they're struggling and they really need a scorer's punch and that strength that Parker gives, I could see him maybe slotting himself back into the starting lineup after getting five to ten games under his belt. Um, still maybe on a minutes restriction around 20-25 minutes a game, depending on what the kind of doctors say. But I I personally would love to see a lineup of Bledsoe, Brogdon, or Snell, Middleton, Parker, and Giannis. Just switchability length on at every position there. Yeah, I think that lineup has the potential to be somewhat unguardable, too. I'd worry yeah. a little bit about the outside shooting. Um, I don't know. That puts an awful lot on Chris Middleton to be that outside you know weapon but but p what do you think if if parker is to get back into the starting lineup but i don't know that jason kidd's quite radical enough to go to Giannis at the five um to start but what what would you think because i and then i'll chime in with what i think they'll do um let's see so you've got parker going in at the four i think that slides um then they end up going to mccurr at at the five Giannis goes back to the three um, Bledsoe obviously at the point, and then uh, Middleton at the two. It, the only thing with that is Snell's not very good at the small forward spot coming off the bench, so it kind of you know messes up the the bench rotation. But I just off the top of my head, I really can't envision. Obviously, Middleton, Giannis, Bledsoe um, are going to be in there, um, and it's it's that's basically what i can think of you know kind of off the top of my head yeah you know i i want to go to that to say that's my assumption too that snell goes to the bench but maybe con hit on something maybe they do just leave leave parker um as the guy who comes off the bench for the rest of this year kind of help help control the minutes a little bit and um see where he goes so that that is that is interesting it's uh gonna be one to watch i hope he gets back soon it looked like i, I saw those videos the bucks released of him you know getting after he looks pretty good so you know at this point it's probably just getting that confidence back and getting this conditioning up so you know and jabari parker people people kind of forget Dude was on a breakout season last year before he got hurt. He was, you know, scoring in the twenties. He was hitting shots from from everywhere. He's kind of becoming that, um, uh, you know, inside outside scorer that that Milwaukee had hoped he would be. So hopefully he can make, get back. So we've hit the midpoint of our show. So I want to take the time here to remind you we are the NBA front office show. I'm your host Keith Smith. I'm joined by Connorell and Pete Toll. Those are those are my guys. Con is if you're jumping back in with us con's our new producer he's doing all the hard work behind the board and getting everything settled so pete and i can just talk and you know bring bring all of our knowledge and he's chiming in with some great stuff so we're pumped to have him as part of the show we are part of the almighty baller podcast network um check out a lot of great shows on the network um i think we've got Feels like just about every team covered now, um, but check that out. And then tons of general NBA content as well. So check out the podcast network. Check out all the different shows that are available there. And, um, you know, we're really excited to be back up and running with NBA Front Office. And we're going to pay a couple bills, and then we'll get back right to you with the New York Knicks.
This podcast is brought to you by ADT. When it comes to something as important as your family safety, you need real protection with ADT. What does real protection mean for you? Well, real protection means you can get all of the latest innovation in smart home security from ADT combined with 24-7 monitoring from the most trusted name in home security. You'll get a team of professionals designing and installing a secure smart home just for you, including 18,000 employees safeguarding you and your family, along with a connection to first responders. Your secure smart home includes everything from video doorbells and indoor and outdoor cameras to smart locks and lights controlled from the ADT Go app or the sound of your voice. You can also get professionally monitored carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. Everything is custom designed to fit your home, all from the nation's number one smart home security provider. You can even get safety on the go in the car or when the kids are at school with the ADT Go app with an SOS button. Ready to learn more? Visit ADT.com backslash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. All right, we are back with you. The New York Knicks are on tap for us to talk about the Knicks. Again, another team really consistent with their starting five, and I think that's gone a long way towards them being eight and seven, which is, you know, in my mind, a huge surprise because I thought this team had potential to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. So, you know, they've they've come out of the gates uh, hitting and running, but they have gone with, obviously, Chris Porzingis has been in there every game he has played. He did miss one game with um, a little bit of trouble. He's been banged up with both an ankle and knee there are all an ankle and knee and an elbow injured the elbow seems like something you may need surgery on after the season ends so we'll see where that goes but joining him in the starting five have been tim hardaway and courtney lee on along the wing for every game ennis Cantor has been in there up front every game and then the point guard spot it's been primarily jared jack um as of recent i think it's more of a um comfort level thing for coach jeff hornacek to have him in there and feel good about that and then off the bench mcdermott o'quinn and frank nilakina once nilakina got healthy that has been the core guys that have come off the bench and then michael beasley and lance thomas have also been kind of in and out um depending on what they need if they need a little more offensive punch they go to beasley if they want a little more defense they go to thomas so con give us what some of the lineup numbers look like for the knicks the starting lineup's been pretty consistent. They bring in um, Frank and Doug kind of midway through the quarter, and then Tom, Lance Thomas, too. Sometimes Porzingis uh, finishes out the whole quarter. Sometimes they bring in Lance Thomas towards the end there. Um, and then, obviously, same thing with Kanner. Uh, they'll, they'll bring in Kyle O'Quinn to kind of replace him. And then they, they close pretty much with their, their starting unit. Um, so pretty consistent there, but in terms of some lineup numbers, their most used lineup obviously is their starting lineup with Jack in there. They're uh, .6 net rating positive with, with that lineup. And one thing that I would love to see is just put Frank, start Frank. I mean, I, I understand that Hornacek may feel more comfortable with Jared Jack, but right now with Frank's on-off numbers, they're plus 5 net rating with him and minus 5.4. So that's a difference of 10.4 net rating. And for a rookie, that's great. And he's not seeing consistent minutes with the same players every game so i think if if he was in that starting lineup and got kind of familiar with the starting lineup and just his defense i mean i think he's a better defender than jack already and i think he just he's just gonna grow by the end of the season i wouldn't be surprised if he's giving more to the team than jared jack can at this point and i just wanted to close out with Porzingis' on off numbers because he's also kind of ridiculous plus 3.9 
with him on with him on minus 11.8 with him off so a difference of 15.1 in net rating and and that's i mean pretty obvious they don't really have much going on without porzingis in there yeah and i and let me confirm nilakina is a better defender than jared jack yeah <laughs> um you yeah. know you you're being a little nice there which i appreciate because i try to tend to keep it positive but um yo and the thing would be nice to have him in there is he would be the best defender in that entire starting five none of their other guys courtney lee's probably about average Hardaway, I think, is better than he gets credit for. But Porzingis and Cantor, they're just not great, you know, up front. Porzingis can do some things, but they're just, you know, not uh, not good. So I, I like to see it. I, my prediction is our st- all-star break or later, Nilekina is a starting point guard. And I think it's just not putting too much on him yet. Now, if they're still... 500 or better and in the playoff mix then maybe he doesn't make that change and you stay with what's working but if it starts to turn the way i think we think it may then i think they'll go to um to to nilakina so pete what have you what are your thoughts on the knicks um they are definitely a shock to me i had them like very very bottom of the the east um it's been a a shock as far as tim hardaway jr even though he hasn't shot the ball well um, still putting up 17 and a half points a game. Um, he's looking aggressive on the offensive end. So I think it's a matter of time before he turns it around as far as, you know, upping his uh, 31% three-point shooting. Um, Porzingis right now has, you know, the brunt of the offense on him. I'd like to see um, them maybe move a guy like a, a Courtney Lee um, sometime this season um, as well, get him to a contender. Um, maybe fill in um, the Courtney Lee role, um, you know, with somebody different um, on the team, maybe a little bit younger that you can kind of build around as well. And then with Nilakina, defensively, he's already there, um, way ahead of what a normal rookie um, looks like on the defensive end. Offensively, he's not going to give you a ton right now because he played off the ball um, for Strasbourg um, last year in France. And um, so he's not accustomed to like really scoring the ball at a high level, but I think you're going to see him be a heady point guard, um, you know, capable of potentially, you know, reaching all-star status, um, you know, later in his career. Um, and it's only a matter of time before, you know, unfortunately Jared Jack suffers some kind of injury as he normally does. So, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, by mid-January, Nilakina is in that starting line. Yeah, well, and then, and then oh, last... sorry, just with Jack, and that's why they kept Ramon mm-hmm. Sessions, right, was because mm-hmm. they felt like Jack may not make it the whole way. Yeah, and, and with Sessions, he just didn't look great out there. Um, he doesn't shoot well, well enough. Well, it's because he stinks. Kind of be out on the Because he's not good. That's why yeah. he looked good. Yeah, and then <laughs> he's not able to really facilitate as well. So I hopefully – if, you know, Jack does go down, Nilakina gets that role. But a guy I'm a little worried about is uh, Billy Hernan Gomez um, because Kylo Quinn is playing well. So he's not going to – you're not going to take him out of the, the backup center spot. So where does Hernan Gomez get playing time? It, it's going to be interesting to see. And he's a, a very good friend and, um, you know, of, of Porzingis and, and was his former teammate. So curious to see where that situation is. Yeah, this up. team feels like another team that has a trade in them somewhere to reduce some of the log jam you know and start moving guys i think go quinn's a guy who could bring them an asset or two i think courtney lee you mentioned it i think he's a guy that they might be able to get get some help um for if they moved him so it'll be interesting to see where it goes I, the guy i'm curious about is i'd like to see doug mcdermott maybe get in the starting five 
on occasion, slide, slide him in there with, and then slide Hardaway down to the two. The challenge is, I think you just become, you're completely punting on playing any sort of defense at that point. So, you know, so I mean, but yeah. is that the worst thing? You'll run up and down. I mean, if you're starting Cantor and Porzingis up front, you're already not playing much defense. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where that one goes, you know, the Knicks, but it's, it's, it was good. You know, the thing I liked, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I loved Nilakina and Cantor going back at LeBron in that game the other night. You know, I mean, good for them, right? It's, you know, that's, you want the Knicks to be good. You want the garden to be buzzing. It's just the NBA is better when it's that way. And I like the fact that those, those two guys, I mean, Cantor will talk to anybody, whether it's warranted or not. But I like the fact that Nilakina, here's a young guy, super young guy, you know, who's, he's not afraid. You know, and that's the best player in the world. And he's just like, hey, I'm not going to take your crap. You know, so so good for him. You know, I like the the way that that went down. And it's a, you know, I don't want to cause a whole big, you know, controversy. But here's one case where you have the real young point guard going at the best player in the world. And then on the opposite coast, you had the, the super hyped point guard walking away as his team's getting into a little bit of a dust up so uh you know but we'll, we'll get into that one on a later show and talk about the lakers and lonzo ball so all right let's move on to the orlando magic magic this is a team i live here in orlando i've seen these guys play up close and personal several times they started out really great um but completely unsustainable shooting you you can't shoot the ball the, the way they did um for as long as they did and now they've dropped back they're now at 500 after a 40 point loss to the utah jazz last night we're recording this on a sunday morning um and they they got completely blitzed by utah that's just you know it's completely unacceptable you can't lose games like that at home against a team that's you know basically at your level um you know so that's that's just a challenge but you know as far as their rotation they've started nikola vucevic up front all year aaron gordon one healthy has been the four man evan fournier and terrence ross on the wing then point guard's been a been a revolving door because of injuries but when he's healthy that's alfred payton's role when he's healthy it's dj augustin as his backup so those guys are you know the guys in there so it'll be curious to see where that ultimately goes with that spot um because that's probably the one that has the most uh flexibility i think for the magic at this point could be that point guard role off the bench jonathan simmons jonathan isaac bismack biombo dj augustin then shelvin mack that's been the guys mack now that augustin and payton are healthy mack will drop back to being that third point guard and then mario hazonia's gotten into a lot of games but has not played much and has not played well uh let's kick it to pete first this time pete what are your thoughts on the magic and their rotations I found it interesting that they hit a four-game losing streak. Alfred Payton's in the starting lineup at point guard. I don't know if that's coincidence or not. Um, I just I'm not sold on Alfred Payton. Um, I wasn't sold on him last season as as the you know franchise point guard going forward. Um, I think that they um, kind of overachieved, obviously, to start the season. Um, Aaron Gordon has looked you know really good, but um, Evan Fournier's kind of dropped off a little bit. I know he had a good – I think it was the last game, what did he put up, 23 points or um, something like that. Um, didn't look too bad. But Jonathan Simmons off the benches is played really well. It's just that big question mark is, the, like you just said, the the point guard role. Um, I'm not sold on Shelvin Mack, um, you know, kind of filling in for the injured Augustin, you know, in lineup for Peyton. So I don't know kind of where they go, but um, I will say it's time for Mario Hazonia 
um, you know, to kind of pack his bags and move on. I think they, you know, can try to trade him somewhere, get a second round pick or, or something. Cause they're not going to get a huge value back, but I think it's time to cut ties. Cause he's been given a chance this season and he still hasn't done anything. Yeah. Else. It's not going to happen for Mario here in Orlando. They declined his fourth year team option just to create a little bit, a little bit of extra flexibility. So yeah, I'm with you that it's time for him to move on. And I will say that there's a lot of buzz building down here in Orlando and even around the team itself that some are starting to wonder if they're better off with DJ Augustine as the starter over um, Alfred Payton. So it'll be interesting to see where that one lands ultimately. All right, Con, let's hit the lineups. Yeah, um, you guys are saying Payton versus Augustine, and the stats show that it's not a coincidence that Alfred Payton getting into the starting lineup has been not so great for them. They're uh, negative 1.9 net rating with Peyton in there, and then the same lineup uh, with Ross Fournier, Gordon, and Vucevic with Augustin instead is plus 25.9 in, in terms of net rating. So net rating. Oh, so I mean God. that that kind of that kind of lines up with their hot start too and their hot shooting when Peyton was out. So that was unsustainable um, because when a team full of sub 35% three point shooters shoots 47% as a team, like that's not going to continue. At least their career numbers are, are around there. And then with that lineup, in replacing Gordon with Isaac, they don't lose a step at all. Um, they're just around the same ridiculous net rating, around twenty or 33, actually. But that's a smaller sample size. I just think that the, the shooting that Augustine can provide instead of Peyton really opens it up. Because then when Gordon inevitably has a rough shooting night or Ross can get streaky when you have Augustin in there who who can kind of steadily hit it at a decent rate instead of Peyton who steadily hits it at a pretty bad rate um it, it can really change those games where some people are cold having that kind of more steady three-point shooter at the point guard position yeah for sure and you know I could spend all day talking of the magic and where things have turned for them but we're we're not going to do that but one thing I will say is look for Jonathan Isaac to get more minutes as the season goes along he has been so good defensively early on he is a I like to say for a guy you know he's 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 got that um Kevin Durant Kevin Garnett problem where he doesn't want to be listed as a seven footer but this kid is every bit of seven feet tall i've watched him next to multiple guys that are full-on seven footers and he's right there but he gets so low in his defensive stance and then i compared it the other night to a he's like a pterodactyl because he gets his arms spread out and then he rises up it's just like he blocks out any any clear path any blue sky to the basket he's you know really getting it figured out occasionally he'll lose this guy when he's off the ball um, but that's very common for young players. And then the last thing I want to say on the Magic is they have got to run more sets to get Aaron Gordon shots. He gets all of his shots mostly in transition or off broken plays or off um, uh, driving kick passes from one of the, the guards or from Fournier. So I'd like to see them run a few more sets to get him shots. People have suggested he needs to get the ball and take over. When he does that, things don't go well. But if they can do it in the flow of the offense, but actually run a few sets for him, you know, it's pretty good. His shot looks completely different than it's looked in previous years. I spent a lot of time uh, tweeting and talking and writing and about this as his balance is excellent. He gets up and down now and he's making plays. So, you know, really excited for that um, development. Keith, before we move on, just yeah. I know since you watch the Magic a lot, um, who gets most of the backup center minutes, Biombo or more, most Bates? Um, it's been Biombo, um, game to game. But if they get really far behind and they need some offense, then they go to Spates. Um, that's really just been how Vogel has played it. Um, Spates is he he helped lead a couple comebacks 
in game, so Vogel will go to him. But if if it's game to game and it's a tight game, it's going to be Biombo, um, because he trusts his defense in there. So, yep, that's a good question though, because Spates is another one people are clamoring for him to play more. It's uh, there's a little bit of that backup quarterback syndrome going on here in Orlando, where it's like get that guy in there because the other guys aren't doing anything. And then when they play, you realize like, well, there's a reason they don't play. <laughs> you know, there's a reason they're the backup. Now, long term, where does Isaac fit for you? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I there's part of me that thinks he might be a five um, with where the league's mm-hmm. headed just because of his size. I think we talked about it with Thon Maker. He's like that kind of mm-hmm. kind of guy um, as far as a you know, long, bouncy athlete. Um, and he could be a five. But, you know, I think you could get away with, and I'd like to see them try some more minutes with Vooch, Gordon, and Isaac together as the front court, especially if Gordon's going to shoot it. I think then you have to have DJ Augustin in there at the, the point. Otherwise, your shooting's really going to be be, a, be challenged. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I'd like to see them to at least try it a little bit more um, with that group. So, Oof. all right, let's move on. Pete's team, the Philadelphia 76ers, they, uh, they're they they're coming off a great half last night, Pete. I, I, I don't know if I hope you – Until we got to the third quarter. <laughs> yeah, I hope you didn't shut yeah. it off at uh, halftime and wake up upset. So, uh, But let, let's get into it because Philly's been – I mean, last night notwithstanding, they, you know, they, they got warriored is how I put that. There's no team in the NBA mm-hmm. that turns a blowout one way into a blowout the other way quicker than Golden State can. Um, but Philadelphia, they have been, again, pretty consistent with their starting five uh, for the most part. Joel, Joel Embiid, when he is healthy, is in there every single night at the five Covington's been in there at the uh the three four this is where it gets messy because it took me a long time and I didn't want to do it I didn't want to do it didn't want to do it but now I finally bought in Ben Simmons as their point guard I'm gonna gonna agree to it um and say that's fine he's not just a high high um usage wing player so um so that means Covington's their their three four Reddick's their two three and then Dario Saric has been in as really the four man um, as of recent they had started Jared Bayless up until he got hurt um, he was out there as the the quote unquote point guard um, without the ball um, with that so it's but it's it's good and this is I think the lineup Philly fans wanted to see Pete you're the Philly fan so I want to ask is this the lineup you wanted to see? Um well. Markel Fultz was standing. Sure, yeah. Um, because I, I figured Markel Fultz would obviously have, have been in there um, instead of Dario Saric, but with Fultz's injury, you know, this is as good as the lineup as they're going to be able to throw out currently. Um, in no way did I want to see Jared Bayless in the starting lineup like he was. So, unfortunately, he went down with an injury. Um, I know he's going to be out, you know, with the bruised right wrist. He's going to be out at least till the end of November. Um, and then Fultz, we don't, nobody really knows, you know, kind of what's happening. I know he's kind of shot the ball with his um, offhand a good bit um, in workouts, but that shoulder imbalance um, and then soreness, as they say, who knows how long that takes, um, you know, to fully heal where he can get back. And now they just lost Justin Anderson um, as well, another wing player for two to three weeks. So, It'll be interesting to see what Timotei Loawu Cabrero um, can bring coming in um, as well. He's played, you know, substantial minutes at the three already for them, um, and uh, averaging I think like 17 minutes a game. Um, I know, Con, you got the the lineup data, but um, you know, going forward, it's going to be all about you know Simmons and Embiid, you know, for this team. 
yeah, before we'll kind of, I'm going to go to you for the lineup data in just a second here. But one thing that I did want to, you know, kind of mention and Khan can then can then either refute or confirm this, but it's a uh, TJ McConnell's been, you know, every game been there. He's really, it's as odd as it sounds. He's Simmons backup. I don't know that there's a bigger height differential between two uh, players in their backup in the entire NBA, but he's been in there. And then Amir Johnson has been a kind of steadying presence as the backup front court guy, Rashawn Holmes, has been out now he's back and now he seems to be sliding back in there for more minutes even he played over Johnson while Johnson sat out at least one or two games recently and then with Anderson now one thing I'm wondering is if this is what gets Nick Stauskas um, into the rotation and it's been curious to me because I thought he played pretty well last year I thought he was really showing signs of turning around and being a player and then this year he's just been hasn't played at all so curious to see where that goes so Con, let's let's hear the lineup data well, in terms of your TJ McConnell take there, it's it's tough with the lineup data because he usually plays when either Embiid or Simmons are out, and um, that that doesn't bode well for him since sure. he's not the star <laughs> player that'll that'll lift the team up by himself. But uh, in terms of on off for like Embiid and Simmons, Embiid when he's on, it's eight point plus eight point seven off, negative eleven point four. So again, that's almost that's a almost twenty. 20 net rating difference Simmons is plus 3.4 the team is and minus 12.4 when he's off so that's again a 15 difference um and it's really there's starters when they have Covington Embiid Reddick Sarge and Simmons on they're plus 26.2 and that's their most used lineup so they're just killing teams with their starting lineup out there one thing that I do want to see is um when Markel Fultz gets back is I know JJ really spreads the floor and is really important for them right now but I would love to see lineups where it's Simmons, Fultz, Covington, Sarge and Embiid with JJ out because that'll give us more of a sense of what they'll do going forward in the following years since JJ is most likely not going to be coming back um, unless he takes a pay cut which that that could happen I don't want to kind of count him out of the out of Philly right away Um, but that's just a lineup that I want to see because I feel like that might be a starting lineup moving forward for them. What do you what do you think, uh, Pete? There, I was curious. To... Um, I'm a huge JJ Redick fan, so for me, I want him in Philadelphia as long as possible. But I'm I'm with you. I think Fultz is going to end up being better off the ball, um, obviously because um, with his ability to score in bunches, um, and then Simmons right now obviously has no outside sh- shot, so he's going to handle the ball. He's going to drive. He's able to kick to Fultz when Fultz's shoulder is is healthy and Fultz can knock down three-point shots or at least, you know, take it and drive um, and get some scoring opportunities. Um, JJ, I think if – let's just say hypothetically, next season he comes back to the Sixers on a discount. I think he could be the perfect six-man off the bench, um, could score in bunches. Whether he, you know, accepts that role, I don't know. I'm, you know, probably – you know, I'm 80% sure he probably would, knowing that um, this team's on the uprise and, and his career's kind of, you know, he's going to ride off in the sunset soon. So I, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, you get that lineup of Fultz, Simmons, Embiid, Covington, um, and Sarich, you know, going. Oh, one thing that I will say about J.J. Redick, he has brought to the Sixers what Kyle Korver brought to the Hawks when Korver got there. They run those sets where – 
there's plays where all five defenders are focused on where's JJ going and where is he getting to. And that was, that was on display with a team as good defensively as Golden State is last night in that first half. They, they were, they got caught a couple times where all five guys were watching the Reddick actions and that just opened up easy stuff on the back end of that, that action. So that's, you know, really good for them because the best thing you can do for young guys is give them guys that they know if they pass to them are going to knock down shots. And that's been a big part of, big part of Ben Simmons success this year is he's, you know, repeated. I don't know what the numbers bear out, but I would guess a large chunk of his assists have gone to Reddick and or Covington, um, especially as he gets in there. And I mean, and, and it's, it's really ridiculous that so you can't. They, teams can't keep this guy out of the paint, and then he's six foot ten, so he can find any passing lane he needs to find. It's uh, like I said, I railed against it for the longest time. I'm like he's not going to be the point guard. This is so stupid. Why do people keep saying this? And he obviously is, and they're listing him as the point guard every night tonight. So you know, maybe maybe at some point I need to stop being so old school and uh, and agree that a six foot ten guy can play the point. So you know, Philly not last night notwithstanding, they got blitzed by the best team in the NBA. You know, they they're really you know fun surprise they're another team if you haven't watched them play especially in a home game watch them play because this crowd loves this team and they go absolutely bananas anytime they do anything remotely positive especially if it's uh joel and bead so you know hopefully they can can keep it rolling i'm gonna knock on wood here real quick and health you know let's keep that going too so looks like they've turned a corner there all right let's get to the toronto raptors this is a team as much as I enjoy watching Philly play, this is a team I don't enjoy watching play at all. They are so boring to me. They're so ISO heavy still, even where they've said that they aren't. I just I can't do it um, with these guys anymore. But let's let's talk through it again. Super consistent starting five: Jonas Valanciunas, Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, Demar Derozan, and Kyle Lowry when healthy. But Valanciunas has missed some time, Abak has missed some time, and now Norman Powell's out. So they're mixing and matching around that. And then DeLon Wright, who had been one of their more consistent reserves, he's now out. He you know hurt his shoulder. He's going to be out for a little while. So they have gone to C.J. Miles is their, their quote-unquote sixth man. And then O.G. Ananobi, who moved into the starting lineup. Good for O.G., right? Um, this guy didn't even know if he'd be ready to play at this point yeah and he's been excellent huge surprise yeah he's been great you know yeah. and i'm really happy to see that um pascal siakam has moved into the backup four spot and then they're really splitting the backup five between Jakob pertle and lucas noguera or bebe noguera um i don't like that at all just give it to pertle he's a better player and he's done better when he's played but con what are the lineup what does the lineup data tell us well, in terms of their starting lineup, again, with DeRozan, or Lowry, DeRozan, Powell, Ibaka, and Valanciunas, they're negative 3.4. So that's kind of um, interesting. One one favorite of analytics guys are in, in, when Toronto comes up in conversation is the on-off numbers with DeRozan. So I have that for you guys here. Uh, he's on When he's on the court, they're plus four, which is good. But when he's off the court, they're plus 13.7. <laughs> so again, the on-off numbers don't help DeRozan out there. And um, Lowry with the bench unit, I mean, that was successful last year. Um, it's successful this year. Uh, in, in terms of their rotations um, and their minutes, uh, I, I only have one game back against the Celtics, so maybe it's, it's been a bit different recently. But C.J. Miles is the first guy off the bench, like you mentioned. Uh, with the long ride out, Van Vliet has been playing more. Um, and then Siakam and no- Noguera were getting in first, but then obviously Noguera can split with Pirtle as well. So um, their closing lineup is, again, just their, their starting lineup. Uh, 
a lot of the time again with OG. And one thing I wanted to mention with OG before the season, I was really low on the Raptors' wing depth, especially behind, uh, say, CJ Miles. I thought CJ Miles was going to start too, so that's I guess different. So that improves their backup wing depth with Powell starting. But OG has really provided what the what I thought the Raptors lacked in Spades because of his wing defense that he has been kind of amazing at, at the defensive end uh, compared to what people... I mean, people thought he was going to be a good defender, but offensively is re- really where he's um, outpaced expectations. Uh, what do you guys think there? Yeah, I thought Raptors' backup three was arguably the biggest hole that any playoff team had in yeah. their rotation. Um, I knew Miles could, could do it, um, and, and I thought he would do it, but I thought you were asking a lot for him to be both the backup two and three. And yeah, I think OG Ananobi being in there, he's been huge, you know, and it, it reminds me of last year when Pascal Siakam kind of came out of nowhere and was this guy. Now he came more out of nowhere than, than Ananobi because a lot of people were high on OG before the year, um, or at least in the draft process. So Pete, what do you think about that? Um, Ananobi is a huge talk, especially from the three point, um, you know, three point territory, because I didn't think he'd be able to shoot well enough, um, you know, coming into his rookie season, let alone be healthy this fast, like we had just talked about and poor Denver Nuggets, they wanted him really bad. And, you know, now they, um, now they have to watch him, you know, succeed in the starting lineup in, in Toronto. And what does this say about Bruno Caboclo? I think he's now two more years you know, away from two more years of actually yeah, playing. No, he's about he's about one more year away from playing overseas. He, <laughs> yeah. He's never going to play in the NBA. I just don't see it with him. I, he doesn't even dominate in the G League. You know, and he's still down there. It's his fourth year. And I know he's still really young, but like if you're not getting it done down there, like it's it's time to time to move on. One thing with OG, I I, I think I even might have said this when we were doing one of our previews. I said he's a three and D guy without the three. And you know, mm-hmm. and now you know, I'm glad he's proven me wrong on that one so far. You know, it's a uh, me too. Yeah, you know, we'll see where it goes. So, you know, Toronto is they're they're gonna be really good again. They're probably gonna win in the high forties, maybe the low fifties. They're gonna be right in there in the playoffs. I just they're just I think they've they've absolutely peaked is what they can be as a team. I don't know yeah. that they can get yeah. any better. And I think it's kind of what Khan said. I think they're so limited by by DeRozan on you know he is what he is at this point he's an extremely inefficient offensive player who doesn't he doesn't get to the line like he used to he you know doesn't shoot threes he's just kind of that end of that Celtics game was a perfect example where Boston they said we knew what they were going to they were going to DeRozan he was going to take mid-range you know jumpers out of an ISO situation and Celtics were able to shut it down and defend him and come back in that game uh, last week so uh, interesting there were Toronto you guys got any closing thoughts on the Raptors um, one thing. Um, so go ahead, yeah. Pete. No, you go ahead, Go. I was just quickly gonna say. I mean, as a Bulls fan, the past like three, four years, um, before Jimmy Butler got traded, the Bulls would always just dominate the Raptors. Yeah. And and so I've always been really low on the Raptors because if you're getting dominated by a Bulls team that's so inconsistent, <laughs> consistently dominated by them, it it, it would just kind of. Um, always had me low on them and they always outperform in the regular season i just think they're not getting i mean they'd be lucky to get past i think the first round even this year for personally if i'm predicting but obviously we'll see what happens that's exactly where i was going to go with the playoff performances is this going to be another year where they you know fall short of expectations because kyle lowry 
um, you know, playing better as of late, but has not had a great start to the season. And then Valanchunas, you know, you've got Valanchunas there. You've got Serge Ibaka. You've got um, Siakam, uh, Pirtle, all there, you know, to play that, you know, potentially, you know, the center spot. And then you can slide guys up. Like Ananobi, you know, even though he's a three, he could technically slide up to be a small ball four in situations. And that kind of renders Valanchunas as, as trade bait. So I'll be curious to see um, what happens with Valanchunas and or Serge Ibaka going forward, um, you know, for this season, maybe even next. Yeah, I, there's, uh, I think Pete might be the only one who knows this. Maybe some of the other listeners. I love the Lithuanian guys. That's my uh, my family's background. So I love uh, Jonas Valanchunas. But it is tough because he's just he's just he's 10 years too late. Like he, he would have been awesome, mm-hmm. you know, back in the nineties, early two thousands. And now he's just, you know, he's just kind of out there at times. There's, there's times too, when it's, they, they used to do this thing where they made sure to get him involved early and get him touches. Now they seem to, as they're trying this new free flowing and, you know, share the wealth offense, it just, you know, doesn't work. Serge Ibaka, I know we all have joked, probably made the jokes ourselves about his age, but he does look like he's pushing 40 now i mean he just you know he can't yeah. can't get it done and they're so limited you know around that it really it, it means lowry and DeRozan have to be great every night for this team to be good so all right that's enough raptors talk someone could click over to the raptors podcast if they want and they'll tell us how we're all wrong and they're great um <laughs> so let's uh t- close it out here washington wizards um our last team as we run through the eastern conference so this is a team that it's been uh they're, they've gone right back to their starting group now that Markeith Morris is back and healthy. So it's Gortat, Morris, Porter, Beal, and Wall. And then off the bench, as consistent a bench group as we've seen in the entire league as far as who plays, it's Kelly Oubre, Tim Frazier, Jody Meeks, Jan Mahinmi, and Mike Scott. So they have gone to those guys every time. I'm just going to lead it off before I kick it to Khan to give us some lineup data. Mike Scott, huge surprise for me. This is a guy who looked like he was done in the NBA after the – he had some legal troubles on the Hawks traded on the Suns. He got waived. Nobody picked him up. And, you know, so good on him for making his way back. And he's been a quality guy for, for the Wizards there. And then their starting five is what it is. But, again, this is another team. I'm starting to wonder if they're kind of maxed out at what they are at this point. Is You know, not that Wall, Beal, Porter, those guys are all great. But how much better are any of them going to get? And how much better is this team going to get? So, Con, give us the lineup data and tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> no, um, I just wanted to say that with the consistency in their lineup, it's Frazier gets in for Wall about, I mean, towards the very end of the first quarter, if at all. Uh, Wall sometimes plays the entire first quarter. Same with Beal and Porter. Uh, Meeks and Meeks will get in there for Beal occasionally, but he might just start the second quarter with them. Um, with uh, Ubre coming in, he usually takes uh, Morris out um first and then they'll bring in scott and sh- shift uh Ubre to the three when porter gets out for for mike scott there and yamahimi uh, just depending on how gortat's playing in the matchups he'll he'll get in mid-quarter or maybe late first quarter and then obviously they close out they actually uh play either morris or Ubre with the kind of core four that they have in wall beal Porter and uh, gortat it's it's performance based whether or not Ubre closes or markeef um and one thing, so with the lineup data, you say they're really consistent, and they are really consistent, but maybe they should be a bit less consistent in playing the entire bench unit out together. Because yeah. right now, that because that's their third most used lineup, 
and their negative 12 net rating with Frazier, Meeks, Oubre, Mike Scott, and Mahimi. And I just think they have a lot of other play like Wall and Beal, they should be staggering them more. Obviously, they do that in the playoffs more. But their starting lineup um, with, actually, their, their lineup with Beal, Wall, Oubre, Porter, and Gortat, so no Markeef, is plus 22.2 net rating, and that's their wow. most used lineup, actually. And that's kind of because Markeef Morris has been out so yeah. um, in the, to start the season. And with Markeef in there instead of Oubre, it's plus 2.4. So they're still good, but, you know, I think they need to stagger a bit more. Yeah, and let's talk about that bench thing, because that was a Scott Brooks thing in Oklahoma City, too. Um, remember, we always used to, why is he, he's got to stagger Westbrook, Westbrook and Durant. He can't have them both off the court together so often, and he just never did it. It was always, you know, this way. So that is, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that that is followed to the Wizards here. And I noticed that the other night, they, they, I can't remember which game it was, but they left and they were, they were up, I want to say it was about 10 points at the end of the first quarter. And then by about the nine minute mark, it was a entire bench unit for five minutes or so and they were right by the time the starters got back in they started filling those guys back in it was uh the lead was completely gone so so i know exactly what you're saying there i i do think it's nice that they finally have some quality depth because for the last couple of years it's felt like it's been Ubre and nobody and now they've kind of got some guys in there i think tim frazier's almost the perfect backup point guard for them because he's steady he's not going to really hurt you when he's out there but he's good to play 12 minutes a game you know he doesn't need to play more than that i would like to see them go small with morris at the five and uber and porter up front on occasion i don't think they do that often enough but i i, I don't think we're gonna get it because i think brooks feels most comfortable with a true center in there either gortat mahinmi or even jason smith if he needs to go that deep and so pete thoughts on the wizards and where what they've done so far well, I like Otto Porter at the four better than, than the three, um, but that's you know just me just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying. But um, I'm glad to see Jody Meeks is, is healthy again, um, has looked really good for Washington this year. It gives them a little bit of a, a shooting punch off the bench. Um, and then with John Wall, I often wonder if, you know, it, it's kind of to the point where every season he goes down with an injury – um, now he's got what the knee, fluid build up in his left knee. Um, it's unclear if he's going to play against the Raptors uh, tonight. And that's a big blow if they lose John Wall for any substantial amount of time because obviously he's, you know, what helps Washington go. It, and the question I, I want to throw out is, is, you know, Washington basically content always being, you know, that third or fourth seed in the East. You know, it's kind of like that's where they end up. They never kind of hit a, a higher plateau. And, and I think, honestly, you know, that's kind of their, their ceiling right now with the with this lineup. What do you guys think? I just wanted to say um, with the Wizards, interesting, you were talking about a team that might be looking for some trades there, Keith, earlier on. Uh, last week, uh, I'm on the Benchmark podcast, quick plug there, but we did a Wizards mock trade deadline episode. And a lot of moves that we were looking at were – um, maybe get off Jan Mahimi for a more, like, a bad contract from another team, but a more helpful bad contract. Maybe a guy like Damari Carroll or maybe even uh, a Luol Deng or something, even though he's been playing well with Gortat. I just don't know. Something, something like that. But in terms of maybe increasing their ceiling, 
it's really interesting to look at Otto Porter and and see what you can get for him. I know they just signed him, and maybe it's not it won't happen this year. But I think when when the Wizards really sit down, look at how much they're gonna be getting into the tax. Look at how the production that Otto Porter is providing, um, and what they're paying him. I think going for a star, I mean, a contender could really use Otto Porter to space the floor and do exactly what they need. And I mean, it's strictly speculation, but let's say the just a guess. Let's say the Thunder are really struggling. Try to get Paul George. Let's say Boogie, or let's say like the Pelicans are really struggling. Let's say Boogie, for example. I don't know. Just things like this to get that star level third guy to kind of increase their ceiling to help them out. Yeah, let me let me hit on a few things there because I think there were some really good points you both made. So I'm really happy for Jody Meeks as well. Got to know him a little bit here in Orlando. Really good guy. You know, he no one was more frustrated by the injuries than he was that he couldn't play. And I think the big thing for him behind Beal is. You don't have to change the sets you run because he can run all the same stuff Beal can run. Now, he's not as good as Beal, but you can run everything because he can shoot the same shots that Beal shoots. So that's big, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of coaches are looking more at is, you know, how do you bring these guys in who you don't have to change everything up, you know, when you go to this one guy off the bench. And Beal's own sketchy injury history, if you had to go to Meeks in the starting five, you don't have to completely change the way you play. Um, You mentioned John Wall. Yeah, the injuries are concerned. You know, every year something with him, he seems to make it back every year, but he looked worn out by the end of last season. Um, just, you know, and I think it was going down with that injury, fight, having to fight his way back from that, and then just wasn't ready to go. And reminder, his extension kicks in in 1920. So, you know, that's not even, or not even next year. You know, and that, that almost doubles his salary up to almost $38 million is the projection there. So be interesting to see, you know, what happens with him because if he can't make it through this year next year healthy, all of a sudden that extension's there, and boy, you got to really start to wonder and be worried about what that might look like. And then the last thing I want to touch on is next year, and this kind of tags into what Khan was saying about maybe you move Mahinmi for a bad contract, but one that's more helpful, is they have $100 million committed to Beal, Gortat, Mahinmi, Porter, and Wall. Just those five guys. $100 million already locked in. So they are going to be restricted to exceptions, minimum contracts, and everything for for a while because when you flip into the 1920 season, the 2019-2020 four guys under contract and it is a hundred and eight nearly a hundred and eight million to Beal, Mahinmi, Porter, and Wall. So they are they are capped out for for the foreseeable future in Washington and that's gonna make it tough to to build pieces and add those pieces to go to the next level unless they do make a move to trade one of their younger guys to you know move move something. That's something I think we could see. You know, I don't I don't think it'll be this year, but maybe in the summer, if things don't go quite the way they want, they might then look at a Porter or Beal or somebody. And, you know, hey, good on the Brooklyn Nets because they made them pay. You know, they made them pay up for, for Porter and made them match that deal. And you know what? Maybe what the Nets will do, maybe they'll do what they did with Alan Crabb, and then they'll they'll kick them a contract next year to trade for, for Otto Porter. And then, you know, the Nets will get all their guys. They'll just get them a year later than they wanted to get them. So well, that's going to clue. Oh, go ahead, Con. It will be it will be interesting to see the Nets or another team come in two years from now and give Kelly Oubre a fat contract <laughs> that that the Wizards will 
reluctantly have to match and pay <laughs> millions of dollars in tax with. You know, I think so. I think the Nets are hoping they might be out of that world <laughs> by that time. <laughs> I think they're hoping that they'll they'll be in their own uh, competitiveness then. But yeah, if not, I mean, hey, make teams pay if you can't if you can't get the guy on your own, make make teams pay up. It's a it's not the worst strategy in the world. I think I think with only a couple teams having cap space this summer projected, you may we may see a little bit of that where they they play some of that games to get money off the board um in later years so um but that's going to close us out we went a little bit long but hey it's thanksgiving you got travel going on we know you do so go ahead and throw this in your ears and we'll we'll help you get to your destination where you're going for thanksgiving con and pete i want to wish both of you guys a happy thanksgiving I want to wish a happy thanksgiving to all of our listeners out there um to everybody out there thanks for sticking with us and coming back to the show i know we took a little bit of a break but one of the things i am thankful for at this time of year is that we do have this show thankful that we have con joining us to do all the heavy lifting and all the work pete and i don't want to do so we can just talk so con thanks for that man um we're you know happy to have you on board and part of the team we are the nba front office podcast i'm your host keith smith as always i was joined by my by my buddy pete toll and my new pal and our new friend on the show con rl and we are part of the almighty baller podcast network please patronize our sponsors it helps all of us out helps us keep bringing you this show as well as all the other shows as part of the almighty baller podcast network and Again, we are happy to be back and with you. Have a happy Thanksgiving all, and we'll talk to you next time. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Get your feet wet. My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, uh, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. And then you can save up for a, I don't know, a really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.